This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, Episode 12. So to me, data is something that uh, is going to be a major, major influence on what's happening in the next five to ten years. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, NSCA Head Strength and Conditioning Coach, Scott Caulfield. With me today, Katie Fowler, Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach for Women's Basketball at South Carolina. Coach, thanks for joining me today. Glad to be here. I'm thankful that you we, we could steal you away. We are here at the Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coaches Association down here in Orlando, humid Orlando, Florida. No big change for you, though. South Carolina is a little warm right now. <laughs> Um, congrats on the national championship. That was fantastic to Thank see. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a, it's been a really great couple months. Yeah. How about just telling us a little bit about what it's like to win a women's basketball national championship and be involved with a team of that caliber and that kind of that six game run that you and I had talked about last night a little bit too. Yeah. It was it was um, it was a really surreal night. Um, just to be there with those guys and you know like we talked about it's one game you know it's a two-hour experience but you think about all those other hours that go into it and you know to simplify it it's it's a six-game win streak to win a national championship in the NCAA tournament and to see the confidence grow game after game with that group and to see the the performance they put on, uh, it was it was really impressive. It was really impressive, and to have the support we had from the fans and the families, and to see how many people made the trip and the effort to come down, it was it was really special to just to be able to be there. Yeah, and you've I mean you've only been there two years, but like you talked about the support, it's got to be. It's not like just having a good team then they win the national championship, right? So it's all these other pieces of the puzzle. Tell us a little bit about how um, your guys' entire coaching staff and different departments work together to get this thing to you know a point where yeah. you can pull that off. So I believe this was Coach Staley's ninth year at South Carolina, and it, it has been a building process. She'll talk about when she first got there, and there were you know 15 to 20 people in the stands, and now they're on their third consecutive season of leading the country in attendance, and that's a that's a huge testament to who they are and what they believe in, and going out into the community and being visible on campus and um, being available to fans and um, you know we also have some kids that are local that decided to stay at home and play and that's helped us out a lot um, South Carolina fans are really intense and they love their sports so um, to see them start to have a team with success and you saw it when the baseball team won back-to-back World Series and and you've seen it when the football team gets hot and starts rolling um, they are extremely supportive so the community um, the university and the athletics department is a big piece of the community, um, but also they have their presence in the community, you know, going out and and uh, spending time with people and and really making it a more personal experience. So it, it, it's been a, it's been a great experience the last two years being able to see it and be a part of it, even on the tail end, you know. 
Right, right. Yeah, no, and that's so key, the whole support system. But so you also talked about Coach Daly, and I, dating myself, remember her uh, when I was coming out of high school and college and mm-hmm. just watching her as a player develop. But you, I didn't know this, but you said she was uh, named Player of the Year in two different years, and they didn't win the championship, mm-hmm. or the only player to win, to get that award that didn't yeah. win a national championship. So what kind of stuff, what kind of traits have you learned from her about coaching because I can only imagine you know the things that you can pick up on from somebody of her level that is like so focused and that good of an athlete but now is transitioning it to being a great coach yeah and you know with the focus and her level of intensity um she's somebody that you know just watching her if there's a challenge she doesn't run away you know she's gonna run to it and I think that that's something that separates her from just the everyday normal person is that she's not afraid to go into a program that isn't doing well take that job and you know within her vision is a national championship and be able to accomplish that you know in a 10-year window which I mean she's, she's unbelievable in that regard the same thing with her player development with her relationship with the um the university and the community, um, no challenge is too big for her. And I think you saw it when she was a player and you've seen it now as she's become a prominent coach. And so how did you kind of come to get into that position? I know you were at University of Maryland women's yeah. basketball before that. How did it just work out that you were able to make that transition to South Carolina? Yeah, South Carolina, um, they had a their strength and conditioning coach was leaving. He was going to go to physical therapy school. He was going to make a change, and um, so they had an opening two years ago. And Coach Daly called me just to gauge my interest. And um, initially, I, I didn't know a lot about it. I, didn't, I had never even been to the state of South Carolina, um, but going down and just being around the staff and the team, and essentially listening to her vision for the position, her vision for the program, um, it it was a decision that. It was, it was obviously hard because I love my experience at Maryland, but um, listening to, to her talk about it and then feeling it um, and then finally accepting the position and going down and actually getting my feet on the ground down there, um, it's, been, it's been really, really wonderful. That's cool. Uh, it's exciting. Um, it was great to see you because I knew you when you were at Maryland. And I think we met actually at first at Andrea's clinic at, mm-hmm. like, a few years ago. Um, we were both there. We were both crashing at Hootie's house. <laughs> That's one of the other better <laughs> part, great parts of the her conferences each year. Um, so, I mean, that championship run, but just being in Division One basketball is uh, incredible mm-hmm. time commitment. Yeah. Um, how do you maintain work-life balance with <laughs> all of this other stuff and commitments that you have yeah. to the program? You're right. It is uh, from... You know, we're now practicing in the summer, so that's that's even more time that we've, we're given to the game, to, to the athletes. But, you know, in season, I think, is probably the most challenging time because there is travel and you're, you know, you're at the gym, you know, long hours during the day with practice and training the kids. And But I think having the ability to turn it off and have interests outside of uh, strength and conditioning is important to be able to go home and, and maybe – uh, you know, I like to cycle and mountain bike and hike and do all those things and not have to 
be thinking about work or, you know, when the next workout is or what the schedule is going to be like. Um, I think that's critical. Um, and that's something that's taken time for me to learn how to do. Um, you know, we talk about having our Australian shepherds. They help because they're always happy when they see you when you come home. So if you're having a bad day and they have no idea, I don't think they've ever had a bad day, but things like that, uh, I think help because it is, it is a long season. It is a lot of travel and, and, and a lot of time, but I think the more we can turn it off and spend time with our family and our friends on the outside, on the outside, it helps. Okay, so give us an example of a typical day in season with your basketball program. Yeah, and uh, really it depends. You know, it depends on time of the year. If it's October, we're in um, preseason practice. If it's November, that's when games are starting and end of December. And, you know, conference play and uh, January, February tournament plays in March. So uh, depending on the time of year, that's going to have a major impact on what's going on during the day. We might be training kids. We might be doing some recovery work. Um, We might be working with our kids that have transferred and have to sit out. Um, We might just have a practice that day, you know, so it it just depends. I bet it's a totally different, uh, a different experience most days, just given (laughs) with what I know about basketball, especially too, because I worked in basketball for a long time. Um, How about, you know, you talked about Coach Daly, but what other coaches have had the most influence on you, whether it be, you know, strength coaches you worked under, Mm -hmm. people you network with, mentors you have? Yeah. My first uh, GA experience was with Andrew Mosier at Iowa State. He's now at the University of Missouri on the football strength and conditioning staff. And um, that was my first experience in a Division I weight room. And at that time, we we were in a, a, a small space with all the Olympic sports running through. We were in by 5 a.m., out by 8 p.m., um, just nonstop all day. And he he took me under his wing and and he really made sure that I knew what I was doing at the time, but he still kept, you know, he was constantly teaching me, teaching me, teaching me. This is what it is to be a strength coach, taking me to meetings with him, um, showing me everything that he had. You know, he opened it up and he gave me, uh, he actually gave me a lot of responsibility and he wasn't afraid to let me, Here, here's the men's basketball team, go train him. You know, here's this team, go train him. You're going to have this team, go train him. What do you think? Read this, do this. So um, Mo was a, Mo was a big impact on me um, during that time because I really had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, and we had a lot of fun that year that I was there. Um, and then Mike Curtis at Virginia. Mike has been um, a tremendous uh, influence on me. Uh, I had the opportunity to work with him for a year. And I always tell people it was probably the most learning I've ever had in my life was that year with him. Um, He's just so thorough and professional and his understanding of um, the body and basketball and how he's mashed it together to make his training program is really special. That's cool. No, we all, I think, have mentors that we can kind of think back on. What? So let's flip it around, though. Mm-hmm. What? What is, what's important if you're an intern or a young GA? Like, what are important traits that you 
really should be thinking about uh, either working on or developing or establishing, you know, like when he comes to you and says like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. Like, what are you thinking at that point? And like, aside from, oh crap, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I think, um, you know, I think the interns that we've had that have had success, um, they have confidence, but yet humility and they have the, they want to keep learning, you know? And I think if you have that mentality when you come into a room and you understand that, you know, I know a little bit, but I want to keep, I want to keep learning. I think that's, what's going to help you the most kind of separate you from, you know, the, everyone else, you know, is, is that spark to keep getting knowledge, to keep getting better. And, um, you know, you look at you look at the field now, even at this conference, and you see all these GAs, and it's a very saturated field. So it is, I think, a, an important thing on how do you separate yourself, you know? And I think that that's a big part of it, is continuing to learn and have the confidence to go up to somebody at a conference and, hey, Scott, I'm Katie Fowler from, I'm a GA at Iowa State University, you know? And, and I'd like to talk to you about how you screen your athletes, you know, how you work with, what sports you work with, what, you know, what are some challenges you face and not being afraid to, to kind of go out on a limb sometime. Yeah, no, I think that's great. That was kind of one of my other questions was like, how do you build your professional network? But you kind of just answered it, but yeah, it's true. And I think for us, a lot of times when we're new or we're younger, we are too, maybe too intimidated, you know, to make that uh, introduction or ask that question. Um, But at the same time, like these are, these are also good settings for that to happen or also some of the smaller clinics, which is why I know that you and I both like Hootie's clinic and yeah. it's a smaller setting and some of the, you know, NSC regional and state events are, are a little bit smaller, more intimate where you can feel a little more comfortable getting, you know, in with a coach or coming, approaching a coach. Um, and I'm sure you agree that too, most of the coaches who are the most willing to share, you know, you're just intimidated by, I mean, it's not, they're going to be like, Oh, nice to meet you coach. Like, I'm glad you came up here. You know, here's my card. Shoot me an email sometime. (laughs) It is, is, it's incredible. Even, and I think you even see it with professionals now, you know, there is an intimidation factor and, and I think the walls, the walls have to come down. And that. Good. What about, um, and you know, we talked about kind of some intern traits or GAs, but um, you talked about like how many coaches are coming in. Is there any specific advice that you'd give to female strength and conditioning coaches that's different from that what you just talked about? Um, so when I was in grad school at University of Washington, I actually did my uh, final project on the male to female. Uh, strength coach ratio in the Big 12 and the Big 10. And it was actually just very discouraging. Um, When I saw the numbers, I was like, this is is not a field that is gonna be um, good to me as a female. And that's why I went into the private field um, after grad school, um, because I didn't think that I, I wanted to get into an environment like that. Just looking at the numbers, you know? Um, And I was, there, are moments that I regret it. There are moments that I don't, but I learned what I learned from it is that numbers sometimes can 
can be misleading. And if you look at the numbers, and then they really probably haven't changed. You know, it's a very male-dominated field. But if if you're a a female strength coach out there, don't look at the numbers and be discouraged. You know, don't go to a conference. And when you see a bunch of guys, be discouraged. You know, I think it's, there are opportunities and it is a really rewarding profession, male or female, you know, and, and those opportunities, if you get get in a good position, um, you know, to coach, you're gonna be a coach, you know, and that's what I, I don't know if it's easy to say now because I'm, you know, eight years in, but um, to me, coaching is coaching. Yeah. Whether I'm coaching a female athlete or a male athlete, you know, whether I'm talking with a male strength coach or a female strength coach, um, coaching is coaching. Yeah. Now, are there challenges? Absolutely, and I, and I would not want to try to sound like there aren't. Yeah. But um, it is still a really great profession to get into. And I would encourage any female that's thinking about it to explore that. You know, if she wants to get into coaching, go get it. You know, if you want to work in the college level, go work at the college level. If you want to work in the NBA, go work in the NBA. You know, there are no limits on this thing. And if you start, man, you know, you can manufacture ideas and you can look at the numbers and say that this isn't for me because there's only, you know, 10 percent, 15 percent. I think that you're really handicapping yourself. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I think we we talked about it last night with Sarah Cahill, too, about like just leaving that tag male or female off right and if you're an exceptional if you're the best intern and then become the best strength coach whether you're a male or female Mm -hmm. then you're gonna you're gonna have a position because you're the best and you're the dedicated one that stuck it out no matter what it is yeah no i think that's cool um so this was actually a topic earlier today that i sat in on um but it talked about evaluating strength and conditioning coaches. What do you think about how we should be evaluated? Um, or, you know, maybe you guys are doing something at South Carolina that's different or maybe not. But do you have uh, thoughts about, you know, is there a better way to do it or a best way to do it? Or do you have any suggestions? I think this is the golden question. <laughs> um, we were actually chatting about this. Uh, one of my one of my friends and I we were, we were discussing this and we we're talking about uh, how uh, wins and losses often define strength and conditioning coaches and whether that's right or wrong I think that's where we sit today I think what I'd like to see it you know but how do you quantify it you know that's how you quantify a good sport coach is by wins and losses how do you quantify a good performance coach um so you know i would like to i, I was just at, at hootie's clinic last weekend phil wagner from sparta spoke and he tells his story about being at cal and um how they had uh athletes go to the nfl they had you know their their weight room you know they had this this happened in the weight room all these great things happened to them but they had a poor win-loss record and so they lost their jobs which led him to found sparta which is his way of trying to help strength coaches quantify what's happening you know with their athletes from day one to you know year four um so i think that there are opportunities with technology now to figure out ways to quantify what we're doing and uh and I think that that's something that we can continue to 
investigate. Yeah. But uh, that's a tough one, Scott. Yeah. Oh, and there's no there's no uh, lack of more technology coming out, right? Or coaches now being like in oh well we gotta look we gotta have that what what is you know what are they doing oh what are they doing in the nba well we gotta do that then right. but it sh- it should hopefully be another layer i think that that strength coaches can be like well this is also something that i know how to do you know that gives me more um credibility as a professional but gives me more you know reason that you need to have me help you see what all this data means and how you can use it to make your team better like i yeah i just think it's gonna be i think it'll help us in the long run um but um do you, you think anything is a huge challenge or maybe what's the biggest challenge that you see for us as a profession right now one thing that I, that I think you see happening is this huge influence of data. And I think a challenge we're going to see as we go in the next five or ten years is um, how do we want, how do we decide, one, what data is going to be useful to our sport coaches? And how are we going to uh, collect that data? And how are we going to analyze that data and, and, you know, build it out? Is it going to be something that, you know, we're going to be able to collaborate with um especially at the university level, is it going to be something we're going to be able to collaborate with the university side on things? Um, So to me, data is something that uh, is going to be a major, major influence on what's happening in the next five to 10 years. Um, Another challenge that that you see, I think, now are these silos that strength coaches are now popping up in on campuses as we start constructing weight rooms for individual individual sports teams and you know, we get into these islands and, um, and I don't, I don't know if that's, you know, even coming from Hootie's conference where they have the central weight room for Olympic sports and they haven't shifted from the, from that model. They haven't built a separate weight room for men's basketball, for women's basketball. They're all there and, and you see the camaraderie on their staff and you see it in their staff development. And it makes me wonder being in my own facility, if that's, you know, a negative for me. Yeah. Right. Not seeing other strength coaches every day, not seeing other teams, um, if that's kind of stunting some growth in my professional development. Yeah. That's a great question. So what then are you, what else are you doing yeah. <laughs> to, to get your uh, professional development? Yeah, obviously coming to clinics like this, you know, trying to um, use the month of May to get out a little bit, you know, when the kids are at home coming here, going to Hootie's conference. Um, uh, and also I try to, to read as much as I can. Um, that, that has helped me, especially when we're on those long road trips and you're traveling. And, um, I think we had a 12 day road trip, uh, in March. So there's a lot of reading happening <laughs> and then just picking up the phone. You know, I probably call Megan Young almost every day. Nice. We're either FaceTiming or on the um, phone, talking with her and, and other strength coach friends that I've made along the way to, to help me when I when I do have questions, which I have a lot of questions. Nice. What, uh, all right, what's a couple books? What are a couple yeah. books, um, maybe a, one strength conditioning, one non-strength conditioning that are... Okay, so... Um, Pete Agoscu is, he's been in my wheelhouse for books for the last probably like three or four years. Um, any book by him, is it going to be 
it's not going to be essentially strength conditioning from the purest form, but uh, it'll help you as a coach. And I think it'll give you some ideas when you're working with your, your athletes and make you think a little bit differently. Um, if, especially if you're interested in like posture and um, some different mobility, you can look up Pete Agoscu. Okay. He'll hook you up <laughs> and, uh, from a non-strength and conditioning standpoint. Um, I'm reading right now. Um, uh, I just finished Extreme Ownership, mm-hmm. and it was solid. Um, enjoyed that. I got some people on the staff to read that. Um, give and Take. Yeah. Great book. Uh, Love that book. And uh, I'm also reading The Feminine Mystique right now, which was written in the 1960s. And... Uh, from a context standpoint, it's very interesting on the history of uh, women and their role in society. So. Nice. Yeah. I don't care how many Navy SEALs write books about getting up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm still, I'm not, I'm not buying that. But do that you make tidbit. your bed, Scott? Do you make your bed <laughs> I, I do, but that was it's because I was in the Navy, not a Navy SEAL, but I was in the Navy that I do make my bed every day. Um Awesome. How about, um, are there any myths or what are some common myths or misconceptions about being a college strength coach? Yeah. Um, I hear them a lot from, from folks in my family, um, cause they see the games, you know, they see the TV and they, they see the, the, uh, you know, hear about the charter flights, um, but they don't see the, the practice and the work and all the behind the scenes thing, the things that go into it. They, but, they, you know, they see the gear and, you know, they see all these things and um, that it is it is a lot of time. You know, we go back to you talking about the national championship game. Like I was saying, it was a two hour experience, you know, that game, the competition. But all of the hours that go in behind the scenes and all of the work that goes in. And, you know, we talk a lot about uh, developing our players you know, from, you know, developing them in the weight room, developing them on the court, helping them become better basketball players, but even the development um, off the floor. Yeah. Just to see the growth of these guys when they get on campus and they're 17, eight year, 18 years old um, until, they, you know, when they graduate, when they're 22. Um, that, to me, the misconception is just to focus in on the games. Yeah, yeah. And you don't see the big picture that these kids are after those games – they're going to class the next day. Right, right. You know, they have, they're doing homework on the plane. Yeah. They have full plates. Yeah. And that they are really, uh, they're spread out in a lot of different directions, but they still compete at a very high level. So um, misconception would be that it's just, you know, an easy road right, of charter right. planes wearing the, <laughs> the newest gear. But um, those things are nice. Yeah. But it is a grind. Yeah. Um, so you got you talked about some of the development stuff. What what are some of the what are important qualities that you guys look for in leaders um, in your team and in other people really too? Yeah, we we've um, we've been lucky the past uh, couple seasons. We've had some really strong upper class upperclassmen um, step out as uh, and, and kind of take on those roles. One thing I think that helps them do that, um, not only the confidence they bring to the court, but they're not afraid to go against the norm. You know, I think sometimes with 
the teams, there's a group thought that starts to happen, you know, where uh, and no one wants to step outside of their comfort zone and, and be the one that kind of gets everybody going the other direction, which might be the right direction. So it's yeah. a tough line. <laughs> we, we, we see that we see that uh, at, at points in the season. Um, but we have we're fortunate. We have players on the team that that will kind of help rewrite that ship, you know, and Coach Taylor will definitely help them if they don't get there on their own. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the good thing of having the ultimate leader, too. Um, <laughs> um, cool. Well, we got to some fun questions that, again, the listeners of this podcast have come to know that we do a little differently, ask a little different ones. Um if you could have dinner, a conversation with three people, any any living, dead, or fictional characters, who'd you like to sit down with? Yeah, I think uh, living. Uh, I'm a big Cardinals fan, and you know we're talking about books. Three Nights in August is one of my favorite books, so um, I would love to have dinner with Tony Larusa. Um, if you wanted to bring Albert Pujols, I would be okay with it. <laughs> I don't know if that counts, but. Um, have a lot of, of fond memories of watching him manage those teams. Um, also, just being from Missouri, um, I would love to have dinner with Harry Truman. Talk with him. I think that would be exceptional. I think historical people are fascinating, yeah. I think the stuff that we'd get out of some of the conversations, whether it was things they changed about culture and uh in history literally history but that is fascinating to me can you imagine just the time <laughs> he was living and the, the events of his life um this is kind of my favorite one but uh if you had a magic wand and you could eliminate any coaching mm-hmm. practice what would you banish from this earth for coaches for the rest <laughs> of eternity <laughs> oh man only one thing <laughs> God, gosh. Um, gadgets, tricks, um, things that, you know, uh, I think were, were probably invented for, from the, with a good purpose in mind, but have uh, kind of grown out of control. Um, some of those... Uh, I think maybe in the basketball world, there are a lot of gadgets. And these, these players are, you know, instead of getting in a weight room and, and doing some things to help themselves, um, when they're in high school leading up into their college careers, they're hooking up with uh, skills coaches that are attaching bands to them and making them get into these basketball-specific positions and everything's basketball specific so I think I would from from mind of things I would eliminate the specificity piece this basketball specific um, that drives me absolutely nuts <laughs> <laughs> because they want you know if they're not doing a basketball move in the weight room then it's not right, going right. to be specific to their sport so yeah. they've they've been taught um and led down some some roads of, of misconception so that would probably be it the, the the specific idea you know that that it's not sport specific unless it's sport movement specific yeah 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 
You're not talking about jump soles, right? Because I used to have those. Uh, I'm pretty sure they your, worked. How high was your vertical? <laughs> Could you dunk? <laughs> Back in the day, you know. Um, how about if you weren't in, if you weren't a strength coach, in South Carolina right now, if you were a totally different career path, what would you be doing today if you weren't a strength and conditioning coach? I'd probably be doing something outside, um, like a a guide of some sort. You know, we the Whitewater Center is right up the road from from Columbia. It's right outside of Charlotte. Um, go to the Whitewater Center all the time. Hit the trails. Um, mountain bike, anything outside, yeah. which is ironic because I work in a weight room with my windows. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That is> beautiful. <laughs> but, uh, that's funny. How about, um, since we have Finley and you guys have Muggsy, do you think okay. everyone that has Australian Shepherd should name their dog ending with a Y? <laughs> <laughs> is it an important asset to Australian Shepherd I think owners. it does add to their cuteness. But. <laughs> I agree. I agree. If anyone sees uh, our two, you'll know that we are right on the money. Um, how about how uh, can people reach you if they want to get in touch with you after they listen to this? Something sparked their interest. They want to touch base on one of those books you mentioned. How, what's the best way to reach you? Probably email. You can email me. By, you want me to give you the sure. my South yeah. Carolina account? Shout them out. Uh, uh, so it's Fowler SK at mailbox.sc.edu. Um, I'm not going to give out my phone number on this <laughs> podcast. But. Cool. We'll put that in the uh, notes, too. Are you on social media at all? You- yeah, you can hit me on Twitter. Um, I'm not like a big-time tweeter, but feel free if you, if you guys want to follow me or... Um, I actually don't even know my Twitter handle, so you can We'll find it and put it in the show how, notes. Uh, how active I am. <laughs> and I don't usually use Instagram for um, professional posts, but if you guys feel the need, I'm also on Instagram, but it's just my friends and my family and my dogs. Yeah. <laughs> So I told people if they like strength and conditioning, skiing, and dogs, then my Instagram is where it's at. Yeah, your Instagram is, you have a great Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) You have a great Instagram. Uh, Well, thank you so much for sneaking away from the conference to take time to do this podcast. We appreciate you being here. Congrats again on being a national champions, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.